Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. All right, so we're talking diversity day. Let me close the door real quick. Um, so what do we say diversity was on Monday? Diversity, what do we say it was? Different cultures. Right. Yeah, it's a bunch of different things, right? There's these um, scene um, below the surface or deep level and then hidden, right? So the scene are things like gender, race, right? And then you've got these deeper level like um, ideologies and beliefs and um, things like that, religion. And then you've got hidden ones that people don't share, maybe their sexual orientation or identity, things like that. So, um, and so diversity is much more than basically skin color and gender. You know? And when organizations, I think, look at diversity, um, at least for the last, you know, I guess, recent history, I think more and more they're shifting. But I'd say 10 years ago and then recent history beyond that, I think they were looking at the surface level. We need more females in leadership. We need more people of color in leadership. It's a bad look for a company to have like a board of directors with 12 people on it and there are 12 white guys and maybe, you know, one female or something. You know, that's not, that's not really diversity, right? And if you're a company that says, oh, we want to be inclusive, we want, you know, to bring all people in and you've got... 12 white guys, you know, that are running the show, that's not really, there's a disconnect between what you say and what's really showing, right? And customers call people out on that. They say, hey, you say you champion inclusiveness and diversity, but, you know, most of your leadership are white males, you know, so what's up with that? And so companies have kind of transitioned and say, we need more people uh, of diverse diverse backgrounds uh, into these leadership positions. And it does, like, I think more and more, the, the, what we're going to is a one-world uh, model where I think, I mean, we're doing it definitely economically where we, we use resources all over the planet. And so, like, you want people that have backgrounds from different places around the world if you're a big multinational conglomerate because they can give you insights that, you know, like, how would I know a typical day in the life of somebody from India? You know, if you, they're from India, they live in India... I, how do I know that? I don't know. So I need somebody that can tell me this is what Indian families care about. This is what they think about. Uh, this, is, this is what they, <clears throat> how they spend their money. And uh, I wouldn't know the first thing about marketing to that population. So I would need somebody to, to step in and say this is how we should approach these individuals. And so very briefly, we talked about um, this is a great sentence that kind of encapsulates diversity. Refers to the identity-based differences among and between two or more people that affect their lives as applicants, employees, and customers. That is a very good catch-all phrase. Uh, these identity-based differences include such things as race and ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, and age. So these are these different identity groups we talked about. Uh, inclusion deals with the idea of we want people to be involved and, and uh, included in the uh, decision-making process, uh, and we want to respect all individuals uh, and, and understand that 
Everybody has a uh, different background, different uh, perception. Like, you're going to run into people in your careers that you may diametrically oppose their belief system and ideology, but you still have to get along with these people. You know, like, we need more respect in our society now. Like, I think most everyday Americans, main, mainstream Americans, uh, there is this this idea of I just want to live my life and respect others and have no problems. We see a lot of division in popular media. Uh, I don't think that's a exact reflection of our culture, but there is some division for sure. I've seen it in, in like uh, my personal life, you know, families and friends that have different ideas, but we all need to strive to get along uh, because we really all have very similar goals. All of humanity has several universal goals, which is to live a good life, to be able to eat well, to provide for myself and my family, to have shelter, safety, protection, right? To have clothing and to do good, to do good work, right? I want to, those, are, those are really universal goals. If we took away all the infrastructure of our society now, people would get up and go farm. You know, they would go hunt and gather. This is what we did before we had uh, a, a society like we have now. They would make things, they would be artisans. They would bake bread and make, you know, make wheels and things like that and tools and stuff. And so nobody got up, nobody told them, hey, you're going to get up and do this today. They just said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up and, and cook or make bread or farm or whatever it may be. And so over the millennia, or, or not millennia, well, millennia and decades and centuries now, we've kind of evolved to our present you know, status. But this is very much uh, kind of a, a different, a departure from what we have traditionally done all along. We were very intrinsically motivated people uh, before we got to this kind of modern setup. Most people, I've told you before, don't like their jobs. It's like eight out, eight out of 10 in a, in a survey of four out of five. They said, you know, they're not very satisfied with their work um, because they have very little autonomy. They don't have the choice in what they do. They go to work and they do a job they're being told to do. And it's not always, you know, cake and ice cream. It's, it's, something, it's work, right? But before this modern society we live in now, people got up and said, okay, this is what I'm going to do today. I'm going to go hang out on the farm. I'm going to feed the livestock. I'm going to do this. And it was work too, but it was self-directed. And it made it um, more interesting, I guess, because you had complete control over your own destiny. So um, I kind of went off on a tangent there. Sorry for that. But um, we also talked about, this is the kind of the big takeaway from the chapter, the surface level, deep level, and hidden diversity. Surface are those things we can see. Deep level are these attitudes, values, and beliefs like religion and those hidden things. Um, these are personal things that an individual may not want to share with everybody, you know. And um, how the, I guess the question is, how well do you really know somebody ever, right? Like people have these concentric circles that they kind of create. And, you know, they've got colleagues for, and acquaintances out here. And they've got friends and family in here. And then this is the individual themselves that, that's kind of like I, I, I have family members that I've known my whole life. I've got, you know, my wife and children. And even though I know them well and they know me well, they will never understand me or, or, or get me 100% because they don't know what it's like to walk in my shoes and see things through my eyes, right? Have you ever said to a friend or family member, hey, man, you need to watch this movie. It's so good. You, have you, has anybody ever done that? And they watch it and they say, yeah, it was okay. You ever done that? And then you're like, what? What do you mean it's just okay? This is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. My good friend, Bill Raboli, he's a psychology instructor. 
I mean, I'll, I'll drop a movie on here from time to time. So Bill, you would love this movie. You got to watch it. And like, I will keep pushing him. You got to watch the movie. Watch the movie. And he may, he, he's really hard to get to watch a movie, by the way. I've known this guy for over 10 years. I think he might have watched one movie I told him to watch, like, in the whole 10 years. But, you know, he would watch a movie, and then it's just, that's just not his thing. He's not a big movie person. And so, like, uh, he just doesn't see it through the lens of which I look at it. My dad's the same way. My dad and I get along in a lot, on a lot of respects or agree on a lot of movies, but some movies I watch and I love. And then my dad was like, eh, it was okay. It's kind of weird. I don't get it, you know. You're weird for liking that movie, so, you know. Yeah, and we all have different lenses through which we view the world, and so we all are those unique individuals, and um, we can understand and know somebody well, but I don't think it's ever going to be 100%, right? So diversity, um, we talked about the diverse workplace. Um, the big takeaway from this example or this illustration is that um, white non-Hispanics are declining in the workplace while Pretty much all other minority groups are on the increase, while some are slightly increasing. Um, you can see the uh, Hispanic origin individuals are the highest rated increase over the past several decades. Um, no, no really need to elaborate on that. We also talked about the division of labor with regards to male and female. Um, the males in the workplace are kind of you know, losing ground to females in the workplace. Same thing's true on college campuses I mentioned. Um, the majority of college-going individuals now are uh, classified as female. So um, what does this mean, though? Uh, is it, it, what, what do we, can we glean from these trends? You know, I don't know. Like, uh, uh, I think it, there should be kind of a 50-50 divide regardless. You know, there's almost an equal divide of individuals, male and female on Earth, so it should kind of reflect that in the work. Um, so we talked about sexual harassment, this idea of quid pro quo, this for that, the hostile work environment. It's outside of the sexual harassment thing, it's just not fun to work in a hostile work environment where you dread going to work because you're going to have to talk to an individual that makes you feel uncomfortable. That's not, you know, and it doesn't have to be sexual harassment to, to be in a hostile work environment. It could be just somebody that, that makes you feel uncomfortable because they say really weird or um, uncomfortable things. They make you feel uncomfortable, you know. Um, I've worked with uh, individuals that um, have been sexual harassers and gotten in trouble for it. I've worked with individuals that were not sexually harassing people, but they just made really bizarre comments that made you feel, ugh, you know, like, you know, just, I don't, I don't keep giving examples, but I guess, like, if you've ever seen The Office, if any of you guys watched The Office, Dwight's character, or Mike, Michael's character is even better, that is their ongoing joke is that they make these uncomfortable, they do these uncomfortable things in the workplace that... Uh, just make people feel like, you know, I don't know if I, if I, if I like that or not. Um, the guy who uh, plays Michael Scott, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? Steve Carell. He said recently that he couldn't make the office today because of the, the, the political climate, meaning not necessarily politics, but how offended people would be by some of the content uh, if it was coming out today. Um, and comedians, like, kind of universally have said that uh, things that they talk about are difficult today because of kind of the charge climate you know, that we're in where if they say one thing in a joke that it creates this cancel culture or shock that people don't want to talk about, you know. So, But in the workplace, really should be trying to create those boundaries I talked about where we keep it professional, we share kind of these innocuous um, personal things like, oh, my family's going on a picnic this weekend or we're going to the beach or I saw this great movie. 
Um, keeping things like kind of light and professional. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, I do have colleagues that share like, personal things like their family members having this struggle or they're having this struggle or whatever. But those usually those types of uh, disclosures usually take years to develop and um, just be, you know, like you're going to have individuals that share information with you in their life. When I was a manager at Walmart, associates would tell me all kinds of personal business, you know, and as a leader, you want to be respectful of them, to listen. Sometimes they honestly don't have anybody to talk to. The other side of that coin is sometimes they use that to try to manipulate you. You know, I want, I want them to feel sorry for me so I can get some kind of benefit out of it, you know, whether it be a day off or whatever. I hate to think that people do that, but there is a percentage of people that do play that game. Um, and so you want to be fair, consistent, and respectful with individuals. Um, so let's see, I'm not going to go into too deep into that because we need to get to the comments, our new content. Um, we talked about race. We talked about age. Um, we talked about these other forms of diversity, sexual orientation, immigrant workers, and workers with disabilities. And so this is the new content. Um, let's talk about competitive advantage real quick. And so what does it mean to have a competitive advantage? What do you think that means? It's really simple. Competitive, competition, advantage. I have an advantage over the competition right? So things that give me a competitive advantage or can give me a competitive advantage are things like marketing. If my marketing is better than yours, that's a competitive advantage, right? If, I, if my marketing connects with more people than yours, that's a competitive advantage. Problem solving. If we all exist in the same industry, all me and my competitors, what can I do that solves problems better that my competitor can't do, right? So like, um, I asked this question yesterday. How many of you in this room have satellite TV? Nobody, right? I was shocked. I have like 13 or 14 people in my other class. Nobody has satellite. I'm the only person that has satellite still in my classrooms. And so, like, that's shocking to me because I grew up with satellite, and that was a norm. And I actually got a bill from my satellite company. I want a year-to-year a -year contract. And my normal payment's around $65. And my bill went up to like 105 because my contract expires. And they will, when I call them, they'll drop it back down or I'm going to leave them. And so they're definitely going to compete, you know, against themselves. But what happens, well, the reason why nobody has satellite anymore is why? Why don't people have satellite anymore? Because of Netflix and Hulu, right? And, and other things like that. So um, the, this is actually solving multiple problems at the same time. So Netflix was the solution to having to go to Blockbuster to rent a video, right? So like when I was growing up, it was fun going to the video store and um, you know picking out movies we wanted, renting them, going home, watching them. But the problem with that is, it's a couple problems. Number one, it's time consuming. I have to drive in my car to go get a video. Then I have to bring it back within a certain window, otherwise they're gonna charge me a late fee. And on cassettes, I would have to rewind them. You know, DVDs eliminated that problem. Uh, but anyway, so that's one problem. The other problem is I can only watch that one movie on that one disc or cassette. That's a problem. And so Netflix comes along and says, oh, we're going to solve that problem for you. At first, we're just going to mail you the disc. You don't have to go to the video store. That solved the problem. And then next day, well, there's this new thing, streaming, and that's going to be the next gen. So you can still get your disc if you want, but streaming is where it's going. And believe it or not, the last time I checked, they still have over a million subscribers to the discs for Netflix. I couldn't believe it's that big still. 
Uh, they still have a disc-based mail delivery business, but uh, everybody else has left that disc business and has gone straight to streaming, which is what we do, right? And so that has solved the problem of these expensive satellite bills. You know, some people are paying multiple hundred dollars a month for satellites, and, you know, for 10, 20 bucks, you get Netflix, wherever package you want to end up, and that solves that problem. And not only is it cheaper, I mean, I've got such a diversity of things that I can watch on demand. You know, like, I can surf the channels and I hope something good's on a satellite, right? Or I can just pick an exact thing I want to watch and it's there. Um, I may just cancel satellite, you know, for a while. I may just try to go out there and, and, and live without it, you know, and see what happens. But uh, I've got streaming devices and you don't absolutely have to have it. My kids would mention it, miss it because they watch cartoons and stuff. So we'll see. We'll talk about it. Uh, creativity. That's another competitive advantage. What can we do that is creative that excites our customers, that makes things interesting, you know? Like, I'm anxious to see or excited to see what goes after iPhone, right? Apple has, this is, uh, this is not an iPhone 13, but they've had 13 versions of an iPhone now. And every year, it does get a little bit better, right? I mean, the better camera, maybe more storage, maybe new features, whatever. But for all intents and purposes, it's not that much different than the original iPhone. I had an original iPhone, and yes, this is much faster and better, but it's still very similar. You know, you got an Internet Explorer, a phone, a text, you know, photo. Uh, don't get me wrong. This, the, these versions or these modern iPhones are better than the original. But what are they going to do creatively to get us to the next thing? And they have done some innovation. You know, they, got, they came up with the AirPods, and they've came out with the watch. And so what's next? That's what the consumer is waiting for. Cost. That's a big competitive. That's a huge one. I, I really don't like shopping at Walmart. I shop there because it's a cost leader, right? I mean, like, I usually buy the lion's share of my groceries at Walmart, and then I pick up, like, specialty items, like, throughout the week at other stores, you know. Um, I don't buy hardly any meat at Walmart. Do you guys buy meat at Walmart? Where do you buy meat? Just curious. Um, okay. Why do you buy it there instead of Walmart? Uh, I feel like, I mean, it's cheaper. Cheaper? By the pound, yeah. It's probably fresher too, correct? Yeah. Like, I don't know what's going on. Well, I do know what's going on. Walmart's hamburger, like if you get a Walmart hamburger and try to cook it, it doesn't really, it doesn't cook as well as like fresh hamburger does, like you would get a Piggly Wiggly or something. Like, I don't know. It's got, I think they use nitrogen or carbon dioxide or something to keep the meat looking pink longer in the package. And, you know, once I cook it, if you, it'll be cooked 100%, but if you cut it open and look at it, it still looks pink on the inside because of all the gas they've pumped into it to keep it looking pink, you know, so I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, cost leadership, though, that's a strong driver. People will seek out the lowest price, you know, and I'm constantly looking for lower prices online. If I find something lower, you know, I kind of lean that way. Um, resource acquisition, how effectively can we get the things we need to produce products and services? And then lastly, system flexibility. How rigid are we or how flexible are we? Meaning that if we're very rigid, when things happen, if any kind of change happens, it messes everything up. But if we're flexible, if we're nimble, that means if a change happens, we can adjust to that and keep going. So those are some key competitive advantages that organizations have. But also one that they didn't mention it here, and it's kind of uh, strange it's not a circle, is diversity. That's a competitive advantage, right? If I've got a company that's made up 100% of white people, but I'm selling to the general market, 
and the general market is not 100% white people, don't you think like we should we would need some diverse perspective? You know, like I, I like I would want to know what an African American perspective is or a Hispanic percept, uh, perspective is on these things, you know, or Asian American. So like you you want to have a diverse workforce as a competitive advantage. It gives you different insights. Um, and everybody has different backgrounds and your background gives you a worldview that is different from other people. And so using diversity as a competitive advantage is very, very smart. So challenges of diversity, lower organizational attachment. Although diversity programs attract and retain women and minorities, they may have the opposite effect on other non-minority employees. When diversity is not managed effectively, white and male employees can feel alienated from other from or targeted by the organization as diversity programs are put in place. This is 100% true. Um, it's weird to say, but just being completely transparent, I felt discriminated against at Walmart because they were, basically the time I got into Walmart, they were being accused of not being diverse enough. And so Walmart made it a point to try to correct that by being very diverse. What that does is it puts them in a situation where they would give preferential hiring or promotions to minorities and women versus a white male. And, I, and the crazy thing is I was told explicitly that I would be the last to get promoted, even if everything else was equal. We all started at the same time. We had the same amount of uh, seniority. Um, if they, the company had to choose which one they're going to pick on the volleyball team, you know, I would be last to be picked because um, of basically I'm a white male and they're looking for diverse people. And so, like, I didn't really consider that as a reason why I left Walmart, uh, but it didn't help. The reason why I left is because I felt like uh, this just wasn't what I wanted to do long term anyway, right? You know, but it definitely you know doesn't doesn't help when you hear that explicitly say it said to you uh, in a meeting. So, legal challenges and diversity. The legal system is used to com combat discrimination. Among the ways that we will cover here are reverse discrimination, workplace discrimination, harassment age discrimination, disability discrimination, national origin discrimination, pregnancy discrimination, race and color discrimination, religious discriminations, sex-based discrimination, and other forms of discrimination. That's a lot of discrimination going on there. The goal is to not have discrimination at all, right? Like, you just don't want to, like, discriminate against people based on these identity issues. You want to look for talents, value add. Who's the best person to bring value to this organization? There's a reason why we hire people. Why do we hire people? Because they can bring value to what we offer and they can make it, you know, if I hire a manager and I'm paying them $40,000 a year to run my business, that business needs to make $400,000 a year, you know? So I can make a profit myself and I can pay his payroll or her payroll and everybody's payroll. So like, you know, that's, that's the value add. But without that manager in place to pay that, without that $40,000, I can't get a manager to run it, and so I don't have that business. I'm not making any money now. Or, as the owner, I've got to go run it myself. Let's talk about reverse discrimination real quick. As research shows, workplace discrimination against women and racial or ethnic minorities is common. Reverse discrimination is a term that's been used to describe a situation in which dominant group members perceive they're experiencing discrimination based on their race or sex. This is the example I just talked about a while ago. Um, so where you're saying, like, if there's 12 white guys on the board, you know, there may be somebody else that's interesting in getting a board spot, but the company says, well, you know, we're focused on diversity, and although you're highly qualified, we're going to go with somebody else just based on skin color and race, or skin color and gender. And it's just like, okay. But that is a form of discrimination. 
I got to a debate with a friend one time about the, the term reverse discrimination. He was saying that there is no such thing as reverse discrimination. It's just plain discrimination in general. And I can kind of get that, you know, like discrimination is discrimination regardless of who it's uh, kind of pushed towards. Uh, I guess the reason why this term is even exists is because uh, you're trying to be anti-discrimination, but by doing that, you're discriminating against another group, you know. So um, I, I totally, you know, like as an example with my family, like my oldest child is jealous of my middle child. They're, they just have this rivalry, you know. I don't know what it is. but So I can buy something for the older child, and then the day later, I buy something for the middle child and like the older child's like, what's up? You know, I'm like, well, I'm trying to be fair. You know, I got you something last week and now, you know, I got getting her something. But in her mind, she's perceiving it as discrimination against her. You know, this, she, she tells me all the time that that child is my favorite. And I'm like, ah, you know, but I mean, you know, no matter what you do, you can buy them the exact same thing and she's going to get out a tape measure and make sure that it's exactly, you know, I'm surprised that she doesn't have a ruler when I give my pizza, you know, to measure the whole thing out to make sure that it's exactly cut in half, you know. So, um, any questions or comments on this stuff? Okay. So, some other uh, con um, concepts in diversity. Uh, workplace discrimination occurs when an employee or applicant is treated unfairly at work or when the job hiring process due to an identity group, condition, or personal characteristic such as ones, the ones mentioned above. Discrimination can occur through marital status. For example, when a person experiences workplace discrimination because of the characteristics of a person whom they are married. So, yeah, that's a, <laughs> let's just say like, let's, let's use a, a modern example. Um, let's say that you do a good job of managing your social media and you put just very, uh, I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Very just, general post on social media and nothing very benign that's the word i'm looking for nothing inflammatory but you're married to somebody who puts a lot of stuff on social media that could be construed as inappropriate or a little on the edge you know of appropriate um if somebody is looking at you for a promotion then they happen to look at your spouse's social media they can make judgments on you based on that person's inputs right so yeah uh that you have to be very careful and when, when you're married you're part of a partnership and the things that your spouse says or does can fall back against you right another example this is probably a better well i don't know if it's a better example but you guys can wrap your head around it more easily let's say that uh, my spouse goes out and commits a crime you know they go out and kill somebody oops how's that going to reflect on me right i'm going to be the teacher who's married to a murderer now right and i had nothing to do with that and so, like, for the rest of my career, I'm going to have that association. So just keep that in mind that uh, the people you associate with, you, they do, like, there is some carryover. You know, it may or may not be much, but just keep that in mind that discrimination can occur because of that. The EEOC, I've already talked about a little bit, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, was created by the Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 with the primary goal of making it illegal to discriminate against someone in the workplace due to their race, national origin, sex, disability, religion, or pregnancy status. Harassment is any unwelcome conduct that is based on characteristics such as age, race, national origin, disability, sex, or pregnancy status. Harassment is a form of workplace discrimination that violates the Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Discrimination Employment Act of 1967, and the American with Disabilities Act of 1990. 
So there are a lot of laws in place that protect individuals against discrimination. Once again, that does not mean that it still does not occur because it does occur quite often. So the great thing about you guys being in this class is that you're learning about these laws and that there are protections in place and that you need to call it out and have zero tolerance for it. You're going to be put in a position as a leader, as a manager at some point in your career where you're faced with a challenging or difficult situation. Take my advice. The best thing to do is 100% transparency and go ahead and deal with it. Like, don't try to cover it up. Don't try to hide it. Uh, if it merits getting the law enforcement involved, do it. You know, like, if it merits changing jobs, do it. Like, I mean, like, if you're going to take a hit and it's going to hurt you, hurt you at this organization, go find another job somewhere else. There, I mean, if you're a talented person and you have a, have a good work history and have education, you're going to be able to find something else. Don't, don't put yourself in a situation where you're condoning bad behavior by not addressing it as a manager or leader. So, um, I've already talked about sexual harassment, um, but it refers to basic, basically harassing based on a person's sex, and it can, does not have to include unwanted sexual advances, requests for sexual favors, or physical or verbal acts of sexual nature. Though members of any sex can be victims of sexual harassment, women are primary targets. We've already talked about age discrimination and disabilities. Um, uh, I just, you know, this idea of pregnancy discrimination, that's pretty crazy, but it does occur. Like, why do you think somebody would discriminate some, against somebody based on pregnancy? Repeat. Probably can't do a task. Anybody have any other ideas? That's good. Well, basically what a person is, a person's pregnant, they're signaling that I'm going to have to be out to have a baby at some point, right? Whether that's two days or two weeks or two months, you know, like, and so we have FMLA that protects that employee from having their job taken away for up to, I think, 16 weeks, four months. So you could be out of work. You don't have to be paid, but you could be out of work for four months and deal with, you know, that situation uh, or the, the birth of your child. But employers, you know, while it's a, a law and it's a good thing, some often employers don't like that because, you know, here I am, I've got this job that needs to be done. There's value in this person, but yet they're not here providing that value to me. So, yeah, I see, I see it from both sides, but ultimately um, it's a good thing. It says 12 weeks here. I think it might be 16 now, but we'll go with the 12. Um, we've already talked about these different race, color, religious, and sex-based discrimination. I'm not going to... Um, uh, go with that, but let's talk about this other uh, thing of cognitive diversity real quick. This is something that I wanted to get to, and this is uh, the last part we'll talk about. <clears throat> so we, we know diversity based on skin color, uh, national origin, uh, gender, things like that, but, uh, but what about the cognitive diversity? We want people that have a background from different places, that have different ideas, and College campuses are great for that because in this institution, we have people from pretty much all, all different places and they have different backgrounds. I mean, we've got people that have studied psychology, people that have studied history, uh, the sciences, you know, business, uh, me medical or nursing and things like that. And you get a huge cognitive diversity in a place like a college. And that lends to the richness of an organization like this. And the same thing can be true for a business. When you hire, you want people that add to that cognitive diversity. You don't want all the same personality types or all people that graduated from this one institution. Uh, you want a, a variety. One of the problems uh, that has been talked about in like law or upper levels of government 
is that a lot of like people in the Supreme Court and people in Congress, a lot of them graduated from Ivy League institutions, right? And the problem with that is that it's almost incestuous, meaning that uh, you've got Ivy League institutions graduating people that have a certain worldview, and then they go to Congress and they have that same worldview, and then it just creates this vicious cycle of you know not changing, not being dynamic. And so it would be better if we had people from a very uh, varied background, had had a lot of diversity. So, all right, and the last one, um, social cognitive theory. It's another theory that seeks to explain how diversity can result in negative outcomes in a group or organization. Social cognitive theory suggests that people use categorization to simplify and cope with large amounts of information. This is a good thing and a bad thing. So when people meet you, they subconsciously form an opinion. Like we're, inst like we have this instinct and we're evolutionarily designed to do this. How do you think you view somebody? Like what is the first things that you think your subconscious does when you meet a new person? What do you think? Like, I'll tell you, when you meet a person, your subconscious mind is telling you, is this person safe or not? Do I feel like, because like we have, we've had this thing for thousands of years where do, can I trust this person to be around me? You know, are they a threat to me? And if you decide they're safe, then you start doing other subconscious things and, and sometimes conscious, oh, I, I like this person's personality or I don't like this person's personality or I like their voice, the way they talk, the way they look. And there are all these subconscious and sometimes active thinking uh, things we do that form a, a basis for how we, how we perceive this individual. And so that happens very quickly. And it's usually within the first 20, 30 seconds. And that initial mold that we build is hard to break. So if you have that, you've heard that first impression, right? The first impressions are important. So once you make that first impression, it's hard to break that or redefine that. So you want to make that good first impression and impress people uh, right out of the gate. So, all right, guys, this uh, kind of wraps up our chapter on diversity. Um, we're not in ca on campus tomorrow, but we will back be back on Friday. I will be showing a documentary of some type on Friday. I've got one in mind um, that talks about the, the chocolate business. It's really interesting how that works. Um, but I think it's called Dirty. It's not Dirty Money. It's another one. Um, but you know, I, anyway, I'll, I'll pull it up and we'll watch some of that. But all right, guys, uh, don't forget about homework, and I will see you in class on Friday. Have a good one. Enjoy Veterans Day. Thank a veteran.